Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Melanie C., and I'm calling in from Washington State this morning, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today's date is Tuesday, March 25th, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are reading on page 38, six lines down from the top of where we'll begin. Today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Janice B., The Twelve Traditions, Karen U. Reading from the text is Larry from Chicago, Sally A., and Du L. The reference number for yesterday, which was Monday, March 24, 2014, is 6087, 6087. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Janice B. to read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Janice B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Vermont, grateful to be doing service. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for His for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you. I will now ask Karen Yu to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. I'm a compulsive overeater from Michigan, and my name is Karen Yu. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, 
Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature that we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 38, starting with the sixth line down to include that last sentence and the first paragraph for review. Then we'll, the reading will continue with starting with the second paragraph to start our sharing and discussion. I will now ask Larry to begin that reading. Good morning, Melanie. Uh, Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Um, thanks for your service. Okay, he tells you he has decided to stop jaywalking for good, but in a few weeks he breaks both legs. On through the years, this conduct continues, accompanied, accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets altogether. Finally, he can no longer work. His wife gets a divorce, and he is held up to ridicule. 
He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. He shuts himself up in an asylum, hoping to mend his ways. But the day, the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine, which breaks his back. Such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? You may think our illustration is too ridiculous, but is it? We who have been through the ringer have to admit, if we substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. However intelligent we may have been in other respects, where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. It's strong language, but isn't it true? Okay, so we, we continue on here with the, with the jaywalking, and I mean, you know, this is, um, you know, as we shared yesterday, you know, um, this is a great analogy. It was for me. The first time I read this, um, you know, it was, it, it hit me square between the eyes. You know, when I, basically, when I, uh, when I made a vow to stop this madness, you know, and I had been run over by a Mack truck enough times, I meant it. You know, I wasn't kidding. Um, I meant it. But, you know, but the problem was is that I had this obsession of mind and I had, I had at a certain point to, uh, to square in my own mind this notion of insanity, which I really, really fought against. You know, I could not dis distinguish the true from the false. And so what I did is, is the same thing over and over and over again. But somehow, you know, I had this kind of expectation that there would be a different outcome this time. You know, and that was the insanity for me. And, you know, so when we read, when we read about this on through the years, this conduct continues. It did for me accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets altogether. I did. I made those vows, you know, and, and it goes on. And I'll tell you, for me, I didn't work. Now, I, I always had a job <laughs> by the grace of God, um, but I didn't work. I couldn't work. You know, I didn't have a job. Um, uh, I purposefully never had a job like a nine-to-five type of job, as if those exist, right, <laughs> for those of you that have, you know, that have that type of job. But, you know, where you, where you go to an office and you're, I would never have a job like that. There's a couple of reasons I wouldn't. Um, one is, is that uh, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be around other people. How interesting that I, that I chose a profession <laughs> where, you know, I teach and I do some other things and I'm around people and dealing with people and yet I couldn't be around people. Amazing. Unless I had my fix. If I had my fix, you know, I could be around people. Sounds like an addiction. So I didn't work. You know, I had jobs where um, I could work from home and sort of kind of come in and out, you know, of, of the office, and, and that was kind of acceptable. And, uh, and, I, and I sought ways around, shortcuts around things. And, you know, um, as far as the wife seeking a divorce, yes, my wives, plural, did divorce me. Smart women, you know, that they were. Uh, they, uh, they got out while the getting was good. And, uh, and I'm very grateful they did today. It's amazing what we're grateful for today. Um, I was financially and morally bankrupt, no question. 
you know, I meant to do well. I meant to live, you know, a decent life. I, I tried to be a good father. Sometimes I succeeded. Mostly I wasn't really present. I mean, I was a guy, I had, um, you know, we, we just talk about this, you know, uh, going out. I'd make those vows, and then he shuts himself up in an asylum, hoping to mend his ways. That would be the equivalent of me shutting myself in my home. Didn't make it to, a, to an, asi- an, an asylum. Uh, that would have most assuredly been the next step. But I would, I would isolate myself in my home. Um, but the day that I would come out, I'd race on over to the fast food restaurant, get my hands on a bakery box, you know, the cellophane bags we, we talk about, and off I'm running again. It was crazy. It was just insane. And, you know, is this illustration too ridiculous? No. It's not too ridiculous at all where I was concerned. You know, um, I guess what I, would, what I would finish in saying is that, you know, for me, uh, no doubt that this disease was progressive. It, 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 the whole illustration is talking about how progressive. And it, it's a scary thought. It was for me and maybe for you. But I'll share a little secret with you, too, that I have today. It's not a dirty little secret like, like I used to have with my addiction. There's another thing that's progressive for me today. My spiritual awakening has advanced. It's, it's, it's accelerated. It's escalated. And, you know, when I tell you that God has taken from, you know, taken me from, you know, from the scrap heap, gutter existence of life that I had to a life better than I, than I could have ever imagined, I, I'm not kidding. And, and I'm not exaggerating. And I'm not overstating the truth. It is my reality. And, and people, people know it. I mean, people that know me, and sometimes you, you know, if you hear my voice, I mean, you, we, can, we can BS people as addicts. We, we do that. Oh, everything's fine. Everything's good. No, it's really true, really and truly. The food's down, and I'm happy. And guess what? Guess what? My dad's in the hospital. My dad's elderly, you know. He's in the hospital. And you know what? It's not something that they can readily solve. But I still have a peace and serenity, and I was there with him yesterday, and I was present for him. Could I be that person before? You know the answer to that. I certainly know the answer to that. No way. No way. I'd be there in physical form, but I'll tell you what, I'd be binging my brains out on the way home. And yesterday, you know what, on the way home, I was on the phone with people in program and enjoying it. Now, that's the difference. That's what the spiritual awakening gave me. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Who would like to comment on that second paragraph of what Larry read? Yes, this is Amy. Hi, good morning, Amy. Good morning. Good morning, everyone on the line. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Grateful, grateful, grateful. You know, if we go back to the beginning of this chapter, we are in the chapter of called More About Alcoholism. The paragraph, in the second paragraph, it says, the delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. And what have they been explaining to us? You know, we had Jim with the whiskey and the milk, and now we have the jaywalker, which seems ludicrous and insane, and yet when we compare it, or I compare it to my compulsive overeating history, I was completely and absolutely like the jaywalker, and that my sound reasoning 
you know, we're talking about the mental obsession, the queer mental phenomenon where in all of the areas I may have sound reasoning and logic, but yet even with all my knowledge and what I knew of, you know, even in a way of compulsive overeating, I still found myself with the insane idea winning out every single time. I mean, we just read about this with Jim. It says, our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. The next day, we would ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity, how could it have happened? How many times did I do that? How many times did I wonder, why is it that that insane idea won out? Well, it's because of this mental obsession that once this type of behavior and thinking in my mind was established as a compulsive reader, I was without mental defense against the first bite. Absolutely and positively, my mind would constantly bring me back where some insane idea would win out that putting that binge food in my mouth was the best idea I had all day. And then to stick my finger down my throat and puke it up. Is that not insane behavior? And yet I could still, because of this mental obsession, rationalize that it was okay to worship porcelain 20 times a day? That was not not sane behavior. It says we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost self that we were alcoholics and compulsive overeaters. This is the first step in recovery. I had to concede to my innermost self that my mind My mind, without the spiritual transformation that takes place through the working of these 12 steps, my mind was going to kill me because it was going to constantly bring me back because of this mental obsession that was established in my brain, no doubt about that, you know, that my mind was not going to help me as far as this disease went. I was utterly and absolutely powerless and that I had to concede that. That was the first step. That was the beginning of my recovery. That was the beginning, the very beginning, but I had to be able to admit that. You know, my family's motto was all it takes is a little willpower. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do anything you put your mind to. Well, guess what? I put my mind and everything I could like that jaywalker. I swore up and down that I would never do it again, and yet I went out and this disease broke my back too. And that's what this disease does. It breaks our backs just like the jaywalker unless we can admit step one that we are powerless and that our biggest liability is our thinking. And without that transformation, without the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery that this 12 step offer, that God offers, that your higher power offers you, that we are doomed. I know that was the case for me. But the hope is here because this program works. This program works with that I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Who else would like to comment on paragraph two? Press star one on your phone keypad. Yes, uh, Melanie, this is Janice M. I heard Leah, and then I heard Tara, and then Janice M. Good morning, Leah. Thank you. Hey, Mel. (laughs) Good morning. Thank you very much for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, Leah M. However intelligent we may have been in other respects where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. You know, obviously we're uh, studying the jaywalker story. I, 
I had to laugh a couple weeks ago when watching the news at my local gym. Uh, there was a story about a guy who was actually getting arrested for jaywalking, an elderly fellow who was a foreigner and didn't know the English language, and he had a tendency to keep jaywalking, and they arrested him. And, you know, you know, I, I just relate in. I mean, this was me, you know. I, I, I was, uh, you know, relatively bright young woman, uh, Ivy League college, you know, uh, high achiever, uh, intelligent in some areas. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not stupid. Uh, I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier, but I have a decent memory. Um, but for some reason, you know, even though those binge foods uh were, uh, you know, beating me to death, and compulsive overeating was, uh, you know, a torturous existence, absolutely torturous, the emotional turmoil and the mental torture. Uh, you know, I kept, for some strange reason, left to my own devices and my own resources, I could not remember what uh, picking up that first bite was going to do to me. All I kept thinking about is what it was going to do for me, that sense of ease and comfort. You know, so we're in the big book now when it is really uh, focusing in on this obsession of the mind. You know, I I just kept resisting what this program was all about. You know, I, I just fully didn't get the whole necessity of admitting 100% powerlessness. I was kind of confused with the whole aspect of the unmanageability. <laughs> and I had a little bit of difficulty wrapping my brain around this whole concept of being insane. Um, because there were other areas of my life which for at a time, you know, I was able to be successful for a period of time. But even that was deteriorating. You know, as I often say, my, my uh, you know, my standards, you know, my, my life was deteriorating faster than I could lower those standards of mine. Um, I had to be put back together and not by my own doing. I had to walk a path I had never walked before and experience a God I had never experienced before. I had to be put together uh, by the Master's hand because this uh, life of mine was uh, madness. You know, when I went to bed at night and I swore to myself and to my husband in an early marriage that we were in, when I said I wasn't going to act like that anymore or eat like that anymore or lie like that anymore, I really meant it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. I, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. I swear, I swear, I swear, I swear, I swear, I swear. I'm not going to live like that anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And I promise and I, and I vow and I, and I, and I, you know, I, I don't want to get divorced. And please don't do that to me. And please, please, I'm, I'm going to get this all pulled together. I mean it. And then you know what? The next day I would eat again. And again. And again, and again, and again. That's what the big book is talking about when it talks about that I'm a real compulsive overeater, that I am subject to an allergy of the body, and greater than that, an obsession of the mind, where my mind is subject to being hijacked by this obsession. And I continue to repeat behavior, expecting different results, and not learning from my experience and not learning from my suffering. For some reason, I don't connect the dots. 
I forget to remember. I don't know what happened. <laughs> you know, I really was crying those tears. This wasn't some uh, theatrical fabrication that was going on. I needed a new mind. And that mind had to come from this program of recovery, a spirit-guided mind. And I was given that through the process of the 12 steps. And my life was saved. I was the creator of my own pain. No one was doing this to me. But I needed God who created my mind to heal my mind. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Tara B., you're next. Hi, this is Tara. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning, Tara. Hi, this is Tara B. from Washington, D.C. Um, thank you, everyone, for sharing. Um, this resonates with me, this paragraph. A few years ago, I went to see a psychiatrist, and the first thing I said to her in the meeting was, I am my own worst historian with regards to my emotions. I have no idea what happened to me yesterday because it was so strong and I just don't remember because it's gone. And I feel like that, you know, like as we go through this and we talk about the obsession of the mind and the, and the cravings, you know, they're, they're fairly recent, so I remember them. Um, but some things aren't as recent. And the pain, the emotional pain and the, the spiritual pain and lacking and the hole that I had is a little further away. And, you know, I forget how much pain I was in and yesterday I was talking to my sister and it was like looking in a mirror or a window to the past of, of how worthless I felt and how empty I felt and how sad and tired I was of trying and trying and trying and how life kept failing me and and I had no idea that there was a way out I had no faith that there was a way out and I didn't know how and today I'm in a, just a different world of, you know, I don't wake up and feel worthless. I don't feel whole. I don't feel empty. I don't, you know, at the same time, it's just so hard to watch somebody else go through that and to um, you know, see how far I've come and how, you know, the obsession's still there, you know, or that, that, that you know, like I'm still, you know, like that, that you know, stay on my path and keep going and, and, you know, wake up and do what I need to do and, you know, so that I don't end up walking out of the street and getting hit by a car every day because that was painful. It hurt a lot. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you, Tara. Janice Ann, good morning. It's your turn. Did you call, call me? me? Oh, oh. I did. Good morning, Janice. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Um, Janice, oh, do, is there a right, uh, uh, echo? echo? There is. Just one moment, please. Okay, go ahead, Jenna. See how that oh, that's better. Is that better? It's it seems okay. Yes. Thank you so much, Melanie. Thank you for your service. Okay. Just briefly, my name is Janice M and I am a grateful recovered compulsive overeater. You know, when I first read this par- this page years ago, I said, "Oh my goodness, how I'm not like a jaywalker. That's that's really queer to run out, you know, into the street each time with all that danger." Well, <laughs> today and before this, I could make I, I identify so much because no matter how dangerous it was getting, 
like it was so wonderfully said about the home becoming unmanageable and and me with my medical problems, I still did it. Now, if that isn't strange and queer, and and it says here, strangely insane, (laughs) not only insane, but strangely insane, which meant for me, um, strange. It was strange. Insane people, we are strange. I am strange. I kept running after that thrill. I kept, like, I I want, he he got a thrill out of jaywalking. And I got a high from eating my binge foods. I really did. It gave me comfort. It gave me, oh, good. You know, now I can go into oblivion and I can run away from the world. I I don't have to deal with it. So I see a lot of identification with this. You know, in order for me to have kept doing that, I had to get something out of it. And then I started, then it started not being fun anymore. I was chasing it, but I was having more to get that same effect. So now the time got smaller and smaller and smaller. And when it became not fun anymore for me, that's when I said, oh, I can't do anything about this myself because um, I did have some knowledge. I did have some intellect about other things, but I couldn't do this thing. You know, so that's what happened to me, and I was strange. That's very strange. And with that, I uh, pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Who else would like to comment on that paragraph? This is Sherry K. Sherry Did you K. Say Sher- Sherry K. Okay, hi, Sherry. Hey there, everybody. Um, grateful to be here. Um, after reading this about the Jay Walker, um, the way that I could relate to that was. Um, to be in the kitchen or, or somewhere near food and have someone to come into the kitchen and interrupt my binge, uh, that's how I could relate to the jaywalker thing. I mean, I would get I'd get angry inside that I that they were they interrupted me. They didn't know it but and you know, and so uh oh it was such a frustrating feeling. And and then I started thinking, you know, if somebody came into the kitchen or where I was binging and they decided to tie me up, the way my mind is in the middle of a binge, um, oh, you know, it would be, um, I would be really trying to get out of the, 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 the rope or, or chains or whatever Um and, and that is just as insane, oh, my God, as this jaywalker. You know, what is normal about that? Nothing. Because my brain is not normal when it comes to my uh, my drug of choice, which is the sugar. It takes over my brain, and all I can think about is the next bite. And I won't finish until... It's either gone or I am so sick that I can't hardly move. Uh, You know, my stomach hurts and I'm just, just so, you know, yes, I am as insane as a jaywalker. And thank you for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Sherry. Would anyone else like to share on paragraph two before we move on? 
Press star one on your phone keypad. Hi, this is Ed from New York. Hi, good morning, Ed. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to share, uh, I'm 71 and I've been in this program uh, from uh, 1977, but unfortunately in and out of the rooms, uh, I've had two periods of abstinence, one when I first came in for a year and a half, and one about eight or nine years ago, uh, my daughter was getting married and I'm, I'm her only parent. And I knew that I needed to be a support to a, a bride or a bridezilla. And that time I actually went back to OA for the sanity more than the, more than the uh, vanity. And uh, I, uh, I was at that time, about eight or nine years ago, down to uh, 176 pounds and a 34 waist. And it's taken me, I've been in and out of these rooms forever, and so within these eight or nine years, I've been in and out forever, but in these eight or nine years, really never really staying. And so I went from that 34 waist back up to a 42, and I was, I was heading towards 43 and 44. It is a progressive disease. I finally got disgusted enough and desperate enough, and I'm back, and I, I'm very hopeful that this time is different. And uh, I, so I'm off sugar and wheat, which in these 36 years I've never done. And uh, I'm very fortunate to say the weight is coming off rather quickly. And so almost every week I can actually see it's, almost, it's like I'm looking in the mirror and I actually see a layer of fat removed. I can see a layer each week because I'm fortunate that at my age the weight is still coming off. Last week when I looked at another layer of fat gone, it hit me. It has, and I've been putting layers on and unlike most people they say, oh I don't know, I just look at food and I gain weight. I don't think that's true for most of us. Uh, so I realized that I've been spending eight years putting on layers of fat and not looking. And I realized in hearing this jaywalk story that I've been jaywalking for nine years, eight or nine years. And, and that has to be a sick mind that can spend nine years doing this self-destructive behavior and not looking in the mirror to see it. Other people would see it. Uh, Dr. Oz came out with this new herb, and I got more messages from people who love me to take this new herb, and, and it hit me, oh, God, I guess I must look fat. So, I mean, I was not even looking at myself in a size 42 pants. So uh, thank you for today for reminding me that this is a deep obsession of the mind, and I have thought that there could be anything wrong with my mind or that I could have a disease. So today, uh, I'm hopeful, and I'm here. So thank you. Thank you, Ed. And now I'll ask Sally A. to continue our reading with paragraph three. Thanks, Sally. Bye. Thanks, Melanie. So Sally A. in South Jersey Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Some of you are thinking, yes, what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. We admit we have some of these symptoms but we have not gone to the extremes you fellows did, nor are we likely to. 
For we understand ourselves so well after what you have told us that such things cannot happen again. We have not lost everything in life through drinking, and we certainly do not intend to. Thanks for the information. So it starts by telling us that some of you are thinking. And um, that, to begin with, is a strange statement after everything that's been said, because they've used the word insane, crazy, uh, about 12 times they've said it in different ways. We call this plain insanity, insanely trivial excuse. This last page uses the word insane about, uh, well, the word four times, but uh, it says it in so many different ways. But so why are we still thinking? That's my question is why, why would I even think at this point? Because my thinking is not well. Yes, what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. And so, you know, we've been given the story of the jaywalker. We've got the guy on page 23 who hammers his head. We've got the guy on page 24 who burns his hand on a hot stove. We've got the guy, Bill, who tells us on page 2 that um, like a weapon, like a boomerang that cut him to ribbons. We've got all these examples of how we've been physically, bodily hurting ourselves and it reminds me from myself of when I was a psych nurse in a psych hospital in, in Pennsylvania and uh, these cutters would come through, these young people and older people who would cut themselves up and I would always think to myself, wow, why do they do that? That is really extreme. They come in bandaged. They come in with scars on their arms. Um, the cutters, we always call them the cutters. And, you know, it came to my, it, one day it dawned on me, are you any different, Sally? Are you not self-mutilating when you keep eating and you've got rolls of fat on you? Is that not self-mutilating? So when I look at this sentence, yes, what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply, I realize more and more what doesn't apply. I'm not that bad. Yes, I am. We admit, it goes on to say, we admit. What are we willing to admit? What am I willing to admit to myself? Because that's the most important person I need to get honest with. We admit we have some of these symptoms, but we have not gone to the extremes you fellows did, nor are we likely to, for we understand ourselves so well after what you have told us that such things cannot happen again. Well, as we're going to see in the next paragraph, this, this might be the case if you're not a real alcoholic. For myself, I am the real McCoy. We have not lost everything in life through drinking, and we certainly do not intend to. And what that says to me is we do not intend to, is that here we see the word, we see basically choice. Do I have a choice not to lose everything? I don't want to lose everything, but do, did I ever really have a choice? In fact, when it says that we're going to have a return to sanity, that's what the book says, that we're going to be returned to sanity. I've often thought when I've read those words, how can I be returned to sanity? Was I ever sane? Because my earliest recollection was food addiction. Where can I get my next binge? And then when it goes on to say in this last sentence, thanks for the information, it's very dismissive. You might as well say, see ya, 
because that's not me. See ya. Thanks for the information. That's all I've got. Thanks for letting me share. With that I passed. Thank you, Sally. Who would like to comment on what was read? Larry. I hear Larry, but I heard somebody just before Larry. Lauren from Pittsburgh. Lauren. And then did I hear Larry? And then did I hear Kim? Kim, too, yeah. Okay, so Lauren S., Larry, and then Kim G. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, a recovered compulsive overeater. Okay, isn't this language true? Now, when I came into these rooms, I I didn't have much, you know, I didn't I didn't have much else to lose, I guess. But I do understand how people will read these examples and say, you know, people are coming into program earlier because they're educated and they might say, you know what? I haven't lost my marriage. I haven't lost a job. I still have a car. You know, don't tell me I'm insane because I haven't lost anything. You know, I've still got my, I still have my marriage. I still have an education, blah, 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 blah. But the book is telling me we're not talking about those things. We're not talking about those external sick circumstances. We're talking about one thing and one thing only. Can we see the truth or can we not see the truth about our compulsive overeating? And if we can see the truth about what compulsive overeating is doing for us and to us, then we're sane. But if we can't, then we're insane. And part of my study in this book is I had to make a list of the 10 most insane things I did with food. And they included things that I could never have imagined doing until I actually did them, like eating creamy dishes with hair in them from the trash bin and missing my grandma's 92nd birthday to binge in my room and, you know, wasting thousands of dollars by not attending classes. But what matters is the most insane thing I ever did was picking up the food after that. And whether you're a low bottom like Jim, like I was, or you're a high bottom like Fred is, Fred was, if you pick up the food, whether it's a carrot, gum, cake, coffee, sugar-free, if you're picking up food because you can't live life without it and you're eating it compulsively, you're going to abuse it the same way, whether you're high or low bottom. And that's you're believing a lie. You're believing your insane thinking that you can control and enjoy that food like a normal person. And if you're like me, that's fatal. Oops. Where's the timer? Okay, thank you so much. I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren. Larry from Chicago, you're next. Thanks, Nolly. Uh, Larry again, recovered compulsive reader. Um, you know, uh, I talk to a guy every day. 
that came into this program at, you know, close to 500 pounds. I didn't come into this program that, that big. You know, so maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'm not quite like him. You know, I've talked to other people that uh, they've, been, uh, they've been institutionalized. I haven't been institutionalized. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little different, you know. Maybe I don't have this thing. But, you know, and so this program is about identification. And how ironic that the human mind, at least my, my insane mind, comes here, showed up at the door, a complete and utter mess of unmanageability. I had the symptoms all right. I was fat. You know, I was, uh, my life was completely out of control. You know, I've, I've talked about, you know, divorces and two liposuction surgeries. I mean, does that sound like sanity to you? Sure as heck doesn't sound like sanity to me. You know, and yet I tried to identify out. I tried to prove to myself that somehow I wasn't a pickle. You know, and, um, and this was the problem for me, you know, for a long time. And it kept me stuck in the quicksand. I stayed stuck in the quicksand, thrashing about, sinking, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, but sinking. And I couldn't save myself. I had all the symptoms, and I couldn't save myself. And, you know, another thing, too, is when I came into program with these symptoms, you know what, if you go from eating three fast food meals a day with uh, sugary dessert items and salty, savory nonsense in between, day after day, you moderate your eating a little bit, you're going to lose weight. It's called the diet. And if you have a little group support, you might even be able to stay on it a little bit longer. I did. But that was not becoming recovered. See, I know that today. I didn't know that then. Today I know something different. I fooled myself into thinking that I lose a little weight and I've never been 500 pounds and clothes are fitting a little bit better and, hey, life seems a little bit more manageable. After all, I have a job. I have you know, a few friends uh, here and there and, and, and everything's just dandy. You know what? But here's the problem. I couldn't stay stopped. In the progressive nature of this disease, my life got up more unmanageable and this, this disease was choking me out and I was drowning. And then I, 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 I began to work the steps as though my life depended on it. And I worked them thoroughly and fearlessly. And, it, and I didn't have the right conception of a higher power, so I got one. I got a conception of a higher power greater than me that cares about me enough to give a damn about my eating, my eating disorder and the unmanageability of my life that I didn't think was a big deal. And as soon as I got that new conception... God flooded in. He flooded in. He rushed in. He, she, it, whatever you want to call it, that higher power flooded me and is still with me, amazingly. And that was the thing that, that allowed me to be recovered. My disease is still there, but I'm recovered today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Kim G., you're next. Good morning, Melanie. Morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive over here from South Jersey. We admit we have some of these symptoms. We have not gone to the extremes you fellows did. You know, this is where we use the fellowship against ourselves. You know, we use this. I always had these red lines. You know, when I reach 200 pounds, when I get a certain age, 
And then I came into Overeaters Anonymous, and I would use that red line and say, well, I'm not as bad as Susan, and I'm not as bad as Bobby, and I'm not as bad as this. You know, I remember think, you know, saying to someone that I don't really consider myself a bulimic because I only throw up three or four times a day, and my old sorority sisters, they would throw up 30 times a day, so I cannot be a bulimic. You know, I would hear people talking about having knee replacement surgeries, and yeah, my knees hurt, but I didn't have to have the knee replacement surgery yet, so I'm not as bad. You know, this is how we use the fellowship against ourselves. So does a knee replacement surgery qualify me as a, as a um, compulsive overeater? Does throwing up 30 times a day versus four times a day qualify me as a compulsive overeater? If I only throw up three or four times a day, does that mean I only have to do four out of 12 steps? We use this against ourselves. You know, I, I've been exposed to the 12 steps since I was 11 years old. My mother came into LA when I was 11. It wasn't until I was 27 and I was beaten into a state of reasonableness with this disease. When I came in beaten up and bloody that I said, oh, my God, I have to come in here. But then I really thought, well, you know, my mom, you know, I'm a kid. I think my mom's, of course, a lot smarter than my mother. She might need to keep coming to these meetings. But if this is a 12-step program, I'm sure I can take 12 weeks and I can leave. This is the arrogance. Thanks for the information. My mom might need to come to this program. But I'm, I'm a little bit stronger than this, even though I'm crawling my way in there. There's a line in the big book that says, many of us have to be pretty well mangled before we submit to this program. That is not because that's a qualifier. That's because we're that stubborn. We're that stubborn. We're doing the yeah, but. Yeah, but. I'm different because. I don't need to do it the way that the big book says. I know it hasn't been having to change in 78 years, but you don't understand how special I am. I am so special. And we use that for over and over. I mean, I use that for 17 years in this fellowship. We hear, often hear people say, I've been in program for 30 years. I, I argue with that. Maybe you've been in this fellowship for 30 years. But if you can't keep the food down, if you're living a life where this disease is in and out of your life, you've been in this fellowship. Because the program is in this book. If we work, walk through these 12 steps thoroughly, quickly, we can live a life where, yes, we are compulsive overeaters, but we will no longer need to suffer from compulsive overeating. But my mind will tell me why I'm different. And I will tell you why those things will not happen to me. And just to end, we often hear that step one tells us we cannot drink. I will argue with that. Step one tells us we will drink. That is our reality. If we are a compulsive overeater, step one, these pages are telling us we will drink. That is who I am. That is what a compulsive overeater is. I am doomed. Allergy of the body will never change. Obsession of the mind will always convince me to go back and eat the food. Step one, in and of myself, I will drink. And it is only if I get to those further steps and I get a, a relationship with a higher power that God will remove the obsession. And what happens? If God removes the obsession, I'm not going to want my binge food. And if I don't want my binge food, I'm not going to pick up my binge food. And if I don't pick up my binge food, I am not going to be in that cycle that the doctor's opinion tells me. 
So step one, I will drink. The rest of the steps is my only chance of, of having a power greater than myself relieve the obsession so that I will not have to drink. With that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. We have time for one more person to share on this particular paragraph. Press star one to unmute. This is Bella. Can I share? Good morning, Bella. Yes. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for doing this service, and thank you very much. That is on the line. I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Yes, I read this paragraph, and it explained me very, in a very, very good form what is my disease. Some of you are thinking, yes, my disease is the obsession in the mind. And I know already from before that I have an allergy of the body. So, you know, I will take, I will be out of the food. And But my disease is also lack in the spiritual level. So when I am not aware that I have a, this, that I am not connected to the higher power, and I, I don't know that there is a higher power that run my life and and he is in control of my life. So yes, my thinking is these things cannot happen again. And yes, before I was in the program, yes, I really thought that I can manage. You know, my thinking is yes, I know already everything and I can manage. I will not go back to the food. Thank you for the information. But the program brought me to the to my third part of my disease, my lack in the connection with the higher power. And this is the main thing when I am connected to God, when I know that He runs my life, when I ask for help for my thinking, then it's a promise that those things cannot happen again. Because I don't want the control. I don't have the control. I don't need the control. I am under the care of my higher power. And I don't need to run back to the food for any reason. I need to build up my connection to God, with God to be able that these things shouldn't happen again. And thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Thank you for sharing. It is now 55 past the hour and time to close this meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared. And we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will do, Elle. Please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Stu, Recover Compulsive Reader. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we own know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. 
we shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as a tr- as you trudge the road to happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you unto then. Pass.